Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Miguel Delaney. On this edition, Messi near the exit door, no puns intended. Was the PSG project worth it? And where to next? Miami looks nice. Talking of where to next, after Roma, what does the future hold for the coach formerly known as the special one, OK, the happy one, PSG, Real Madrid? Or is that a Stamford Bridge too far? And never mind your Barcelonas and your Madrids, could relatively lowly Osasuna be the saviour of La Liga? Their number one fan at the Independent is with us. Expect some lyrical waxing. There's been a lot of football midweek, and I wonder if we might have missed something that has caught your eye, Miguel. I suppose missing is maybe um, uh, the wrong word given it was a classico, <laughs> but I suppose to fully register the scale of uh, Madrid's 4-0 win over Barcelona, I think it's all the more interesting because, well, first of all, because basically the announcement that Benzema is coming back to his uh, his form in last season's run-in, which is ominous for the rest of the Champions League, and also because just from speaking to a few people around Spanish football as it was happening, uh, including around Barcelona, there is this bit of a sense that this result has been coming because they're actually not that good. 
um, which I have to say I would agree with. And Andy, what's caught your eye? Well, don't know. I'm going to go for a domestic cup semi-final as well, but from the Netherlands. And uh, Ajax winning at Feyenoord on Wednesday nights, going through to the KMVB Becker final against uh, PSV, which will be exciting. Obviously big for Ajax to, to win at Feyenoord because they've had their difficulties with them, um, of course, in our game of the week recently where they, they lost at home to them in Amsterdam. And they dropped more points at the weekend, so they're eight points off Feyenoord at the top. They, they just needed to, to do something, really, to, to get a foothold again in their season. Davy Klassen scoring the winner and then being struck in the back of the head by a lighter thrown from the crowd, which uh, drew blood and he, he looked quite dizzied at the end of it. He had to be like, um, helped off the pitch. So a bit worrying and I'm sure there'll be some blowback for final because of that. And it would be a shame if that spoiled what's been an incredible season from them and Arna Slot, as we talked about last week. Well, the news that I've been hearing about over the last few days is about uh, Lionel Messi, uh, where he goes from here. It does sound, Miguel, as if he is definitely going to be leaving PSG at the end of the season. I mean, he's still got another year on his contract. Don't get me wrong. It could, it could be different. The outcome could be different. But so far, we're hearing that he's leaving. And the question is, where's he going to? And we'll come back to whether the PSG experiment has been worth it for him and for them. Well, I wouldn't quite say he's definitely leaving yet. I, I did a big piece on this yesterday with, with uh, exploring a lot of the issues and talking to a lot of people involved. And, I mean, first of all, Messi's he's got offers, obviously, from Al-Halal in Saudi Arabia and um, into Miami in uh, in the in MLS. Uh, both of those, not just, obviously, kind of individual offers, but almost about bigger projects. Saudi Arabia want to, you know, revive and re-energize the Ronaldo-Messi duel uh, before a prospective bid for 2026. Uh, with, uh, with uh, Inter Miami, he's being offered an equity stake an equity uh, stake in the club. Uh, but for the moment, his preference is to stay in Europe for at least one more season, especially before the 2024 Copa America. Um, but as it stands... The only actual concrete offer they've got on the table is from Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, it isn't impossible he stays, but he's not going to make that decision. Now, it actually, it should be stressed as well. There's been a lot of reports about kind of, you know, on lesser terms. Uh, from what I'm told, uh, that's actually impossible uh, because the, the contract's in the same terms. This would just be a one-year extension. It's sorted from the Paris Saint-Germain end. So all, all it comes down to is Messi agreeing it. Uh, but he's not going to make a decision until he's given clarity and assurance on where the sporting project is going, specifically who the manager is going to be. And secondly, what the, the broad makeup of the team is going to look like, given that it's they're all aware that Paris Saint-Germain are under financial fair play pressures now. They probably have to sell. One of the forwards may have to go, which I suppose you would think it's going to be Neymar in this case. Um, but obviously it's quite a bloated squad as well. And Messi wants to see uh, how good the team looks as regards giving another chance to the Champions League. Obviously, that means that everyone, because of these uncertainties, everyone is expecting this emotional return to Barcelona. But as of now, 6th of April, the afternoon, uh, not only is there no offer from Barcelona, but there hasn't, been any, there hasn't even been any dialogue and approach. In fact, the only discussion that Barcelona have had with the Messi entourage, or well, in specifically uh, Jorge Messi, uh, Leo's father, is in, in the last few months, is over a potential tribute uh, 
for when he leaves Europe eventually. Um, which of course is, and even if they're talking about that, there's no guarantee he's going to come back to Barcelona. But I've had a very reliably and solidly told to me there is no no offer from Barcelona, no rush now. Who knows where that will change over the next two months? And there's obviously a lot of public relations and posturing here. But some people within the football industry think that all of these leaks are because uh, Mar- Barca wanted to, they almost wanted to be seen that they're trying to get Messi back. But in reality, there's not that much of a will. There's doubts whether they even have the finances. And it's all very much up in the air at the moment. And I mean, his. I think it's one of those situations where Messi is ruling nothing out, but of course his preference is to stay um, in Europe. There has been some tentative interest from England, but I think that's more kind of clubs seeing where the lie of the land is rather than actually anything concrete yet. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of unknown. A lot of interest here in the UK about what happens to Lionel Messi now. And we've got this uh, from Sparkus Meller, remember him? When will Lionel Messi arrive at Inter Miami and have his career transformed by one Phil Neville? <laughs> now, come on. But on a serious note, though, Andy, that's one of the options. That's one of the options. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting option uh, because if, if you go back what, four or five weeks, uh, and the MLS commissioner, Don Garber, saying um, if, if Inter were to want to sign Messi, I encourage you to be creative in doing it. And so that leans into what Miguel was talking about, equity. That makes perfect sense. Because, of course, there's the salary cap. Now, he can be a designated player, but they're going to have to absolutely break the bank to bring him in, which is something that is is not as easy in MLS as it is in in, in other leagues, even bearing in mind financial fair play. But there's there's a lot to recommend it. Obviously, um, he already has property in Miami. there's the the fact that there's a whole obviously MLS is progressing at a rapid rate but to truly unite MLS and the um, Latin American and Spanish speaking fan base of football in the States that would be something that he could do so that that would be Potentially huge for him, but potentially even huger than Pelé going to the going to the Cosmos back in back in seventy. Or Beckham going to LA. Yeah, for example, which you know never really had the stratospheric impact that that, that the people hoped hoped it would. And it's different, I think, with Pelé and Messi, not just because they're all time greats, but because and not just because they're names, but because unlike Beckham, who, if you take away the celebrity bit of it, is just a great player for a great team. I think if you looked at, I guess the way I've described it before, if you'd never seen football before, if if you saw Messi, you might start to get it because, you know, he's just got that otherworldly technique and he grabs the imagination in that way that very, very few players do. I tend to think that even though PSG is possible and the way that he could take a wage kit, a wage cup is... I'm sorry, I'm going to have to use one of these NBA comparisons. But what he could do is he could opt out of the final year of that contract and then sign a fresh contract. So similar to what James Harden did with the Philadelphia 76ers last year, thereby freeing up more money for the team to spend on good players to put around him. And that's exactly what PSG need because they need a freshen. Ideally, they need a, a, a more youthful model. That's what Kylian Mbappe was promised and hoped for. But I think the, the main problem here Miguel for me when you look at 
Messi and PSG. And I suppose it feeds in as well to the, the, the sort of legacy that he will leave and the relationship that there is between Messi and the ultras. It's basically Messi and Neymar have a very different view of what PSG should be to Kylian Mbappe. And so Mbappe, who is the, the one that they'll definitely hang on to this summer, and yes, he could be out of contract in summer 2024 if he chooses to opt out, they're not going to sell him. They are absolutely not going to sell him. Nothing will make them sell him. Um, the, the thing is that he sees that the team should be freshened and younger. And the, the way that Messi sees football is a bit more old school. He's like, well, why shouldn't it be about superstars? Why shouldn't it be about older guys? Uh, and let's face it, Miguel, that is detrimental to what PSG are trying to do, isn't it? And it kind of sums up the, one of these many tensions with what... Uh, PSG is. Mm. I mean, you, you could actually say it right that right, you can say it right through the club, given even how the ultra culture and how raucous it is clashes with what it is as a Qatari sports washing project. The experience at the Parc de Prince for any match day, where you do have this extremely noisy element, and then also where it almost feels like they, you know, the club is trying to position themselves to be a kind of a football fashion show, given some of the, the level of the celebrity guests at it. And this, of course, in a purely football terms, as you say, uh, this tension is best articulated in, the, in this split between what two of the most important, or sorry, the two most important footballers the club want this to be. And, and, and this is, of course, why it's so undecided for Messi as yet, because he wants to see what, who the next manager is. They, they don't know. Uh, there's still, I mean, as was put to me last week, there's actually a 10% chance of Galtier staying, despite this season having been, you know, a disaster, really. Um, and, yeah, again, it, it's, it's, it almost seems at this point we're having the same discussion about uh, Paris Saint-Germain every single season. Well, it's funny, though, that of all the options, you would think that PSG was the least likely option, given that he was booed off the pitch by PSG fans the other day. He had a shocker against Lyon. Mm. Gave away the ball twenty six times in ninety minutes. I wasn't counting, but others were. And <laughs> and when he has these global options to go to Saudi Arabia, equity in uh, Miami or otherwise, the, the biggest, I suppose, the biggest surprise is that Barcelona don't want him or aren't showing much interest. I'd have thought. I, I think again, it's capability, isn't it, and un, un, an uncertainty really. As Miguel was saying before, if, if we think that the way that PSG are going forward, and we'll, we'll come back in, the, in a minute to whether we think a Messi experiment, if you like, and it wasn't meant to be an experiment, the Messi, Messi hmm. signing has actually been a success or not for them. But I think in terms of if, if their project is uncertain going forward, and that's what's stopping him from giving a clear response, or at least that's the line him and his entourage are giving going forward, I think you look at Barcelona and it's even more uncertain. Like we, we know they're going to win La Liga. The season has, has still been globally disappointing, I think, from what they've not been able to do in Europe. They're, in, they're still in a financial predicament. So to, to me, the only possible way that you get Messi back for a victory lap, and we know he's close to Xavi and all that sort of stuff, is if you're looking at something towards the deal that Danny Alves signed there when he was 39, when he signed it for the, the league minimum. Now, you, you couldn't do that on a contract extension because you can only take, you, you, you can only take a, a maximum of a 50% pay cut. So that's why they had to get rid of him in the first place, just to clarify. If he wanted to come back and play for €100,000 a year, he could. To me, it seems like he's one of the least likely footballers in the world 
to actually do that, however much he wants to go home. And it is his home. It's been his home since he was 12 years old. And that was why it was so traumatic when he left. And it was a trauma for him. And I guess you have to ask, is he over that as well? Like, even beside the sporting and financial aspect, I mean, he was deeply hurt by that, Miguel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this is the other side of Barcelona as well, though. I mean, from both a footballing perspective and an emotional perspective, I know that they all... There's this kind of vague will to give him the the um the the goodbye that he deserves, a farewell because because a, a press conference in which he cries obviously doesn't cut it. But from the other perspective, they've now gone through the hard part. I mean, it was something that was feared at Barcelona for years. How they're gonna get over Messi finally leaving, or as they thought at the time, Messi retiring. They they you know they they've they've taken off the band-aid in that sense, and um, both financially and emotionally. And it, I mean, it it would just and also given that at least theoretically they're trying to move into a new era of football and you know change how they play, it, it it really feels like the only logical justification for a return is is just for, just just for that to have that farewell, which doesn't really make it. But then given this is this is Barcelona and some of the decisions they've made in the last year. But I mean, again, we come back to the hard facts as we have them now are there's no there's no approach, let alone an offer, and it's getting quite late in the day. You've mentioned the project, Andy. Um, let's not forget we're talking about a World Cup winner here. We're talking about World Cup winning captain. That might be lost in all of this conversation. But when you when you look back, has this project, from Messi's point of view, been worth it? Has it been worth it from the PSG point of view? How, how do you assess his time at PSG? I, th- I think no. I, I think you'd have to say no. And of course, he's had some moments where he's played magnificently. That's the same with Neymar at PSG. And I don't think that's been a massive success either. But at least with Neymar, you can say, okay, it was a, from a PSG perspective, it was them showing they could sign a-plus superstar talent at its prime. So that changed things for PSG. So even getting that signing over the line, if he never kicked the ball for them, it had been a success to a certain level in that they went to one of the biggest clubs in the world and took away one of their best players who they wanted to keep. And that changed things for PSG. With Messi, it was a little bit different because, as we said, Barcelona, for financial reasons, but still they handled it dreadfully, kicked him the greatest player in their history and possibly history to the curb. Um, And at that point, from Messi's perspective, I don't think we can talk about whether the project is a success or not. He didn't have really any other options. He had to go to to, to Paris because they were interested and they, they were the other mega club that were interested. You know, there was no question of, say, Manchester City signing him or or, or anything like that. From PSG's perspective, I, I, I do think it's been a letdown because they already had that star quality. Of course, there are moments where, you know, PSG fans can go, wow, Messi is playing for our club. And there are moments where he does something incredible and, you know, it captures the imagination. But the bottom line is they are further away from winning the Champions League, far further away from winning the Champions League than they were before. I don't think with the front three, as I've said many times before, of Mbappe, Neymar and Messi, They've ever been equipped. They've ever been to win the Champions League. They've ever been good enough off the ball to win the Champions League because they haven't. They haven't been close. And so that takes it back to 
what Miguel was talking about before. Are they a are they a football club or are they a fashion label? But strictly from Messi's perspective, Miguel, do you feel that his time at PSG has been worth it or worthless, pointless, if you like? I think there's actually two sides to this. From a club perspective, absolutely not. Um, I mean, there's been this wide ride, especially, I mean, given the World Cup, the Ronaldo-Messi debate is kind of dead. But one part of it was that Ronaldo's done it in multiple countries. Even Messi's now won the French League. But no one really cares. I mean, like it's not right. It's nice to have on his list of honors, but it's not like he's seen as a challenge because he's winning it with Paris Saint Germain. But then, given we mentioned the World Cup, there that's the other side to this. In that there is there is actually a relative success to it in the sense that it's it might be a, it might have been a little bit of a Goldilocks league for Messi in the sense that it was just testing enough, but not strenuous enough, and ensured that he was in the best possible shape going into what he wanted above anything else, the World Cup. Mm. And it also, from I remember I wrote this in the build-up to the World Cup, but it served Messi from another perspective, which was after leaving Barcelona, he had a really bad first season at Paris Saint-Germain. And it was put to me by people close to him that, that part of that was because um, he was actually a bit shocked by the uh, physicality of the French League. And it meant that in the last few months of that season and into the summer... He started to he changed his fitness program, and again meant he was he was in better shape for the for the next season, and went into the World Cup in the best possible shape. So I think there's from and it's 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 a bit of an inversion of Messi's career, given how all this was discussed when he's at Barcelona. But yeah, from 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 a club perspective, obviously it's it's been pointless. From an international perspective, given he's won the World Cup, some of it as a direct consequence of what's happened to Paris Saint Germain. It's been the best possible outcome. Oh, Messi, Messi, went to PSG and won the World Cup. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. 
Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash ramble. Hi everyone, Marcus here. Before we get back to OTC, it's time for a bonus edition of Betfair's Popular Bet Builder. Select from the most popular pre-made football bet builders using Betfair's handy app and you can add them to your bet slip in just one tap. We're back to build another Ramble Bet Builder and to try and win some money for charity. Today we're looking ahead to the opening game of the Premier League this weekend. Manchester United versus Everton. Luke's up with the first pick. I'm convinced... It's going to be a draw at half-time between these two teams. I was quite impressed with Everton in places against Spurs. thought they were pretty good. I think they can hold Man United out at Old Trafford at least till half-time. So I'm going to go for a draw at half-time. Jim's got the second pick. Hello, it's Jim, your favourite one. For the popular bet builder this week, I reckon Bruno Fernandes is going to score or assist at any time. So that's Bruno Fernandes to score or assist at any time against Everton on Saturday. Pete's got the third pick. I think I'm probably going to go for under 3.5 goals. Fuming uh, that Newcastle United managed to absolutely hammer them uh, last weekend. Why couldn't they have done that in the cup? Uh, I think Everton are going to get a couple. uh, And I think Man United uh, might get one in reply. And I am going for Marcus Rashford to have two or more shots on target. The man is on fire and surely cannot be stopped from shooting at goal. So there we are. The teams to be drawing at half-time. Bruno Fernandes to score or assist under 3.5 goals in the game. And Marcus Rashford to have two or more shots on target. A £5 bet with Betfair on that popular bet builder returns £103.63. And if we win, all that money goes to Prostate Cancer UK. We'll be back with another round of Betfair's popular bet builder on the preview show tomorrow. Exclusive to Betfair Sportsbook, T's and C's apply. You've got to be over 18. And for more information on responsible gambling, head to begambleaware.org. Right, now let's get back to OTC. Jose Mourinho, though, is never far from the headlines. And uh, this week, he threw a proper spanner in his future, I would say. Because mm. um, we thought Roma would be his home for another season. And he's contracted to be there for one more season. But what did he say that made you question that, Andy? Well, of course, we got the the former... And I was, I was there on... Um, Sunday at the Olympico is that, that they played Sampdoria and we got the full Mourinho he um, told the crowd to lay off his opposite number Dejan Stankovic uh, formerly of Lazio of course as well as Inter when he was raging against uh, the referee sen- sending off one of his players Jason Murillo and it, you know it was classic Mourinho fake magnanimous and then of course 
as Jeannie Van Helden was scoring the opening goal, he was preparing to bring on some subs and he told uh, Ole Solbach and quite memorably, memorably to sit himself down because he wouldn't be coming on anymore. Um, this in, is after the, he stood up to, yeah, to get ready to come on. Yeah, that's, that, back that, down. that's, that's right. Um, <laughs> Not today, uh, sunshine. And um, I, I think all of those moments remind you of the fact that he is playing to his gallery there. And it felt to me, certainly after Tottenham, and maybe going a little bit further back than that, that Mourinho is running out of road at the top level. Now, of course, there's there's an argument, are Roma elite level? And probably not. Um, but, if you know, they haven't, they haven't won the league since 2001. Um, you know, they've had various financial problems in the, in the last decade. You've had that one Champions League semi-final in, 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 in 2018. But they but, have but progressed under him, though, haven't they? They, they have. And they feel, they feel like a big club. Because, of course, as we've said, numerous times this season the one thing that Mourinho has managed to do is build the Olympico which is bloody hard Th- that Mourinho magnetism is real in in, in Rome I, I don't know I'd be interested to know Miguel's read on it but he comes out after the Sampdoria game where they temporarily move back into the top four and they've got a good chance of making top four this season and he says well you know we'll see at the end of the season having said before you know maybe my happiness is here at Roma it's been different because over the last couple of weeks, he's been linked with returns to PSG, or not return to PSG, we've been linked with PSG. I still think that's a bit of a long shot, but linked with a return to Real Madrid, linked with a return to Chelsea, <laughs> even. And then all of a sudden, he throws this little bit of doubt into the equation. As regards to Chelsea, one, given I was talking to people around the club about exactly this on Tuesday. Um, especially amid the uncertainty. Uh, And I I wonder, is a lot of this... um, Sorry, is this true for all of this, where it's been a bit of a fishing expedition for Mourinho? He maybe hasn't got the bites he expected, and hence, suddenly maybe staying at Rome is not that bad an option. Uh, And just from, from a few different levels... If again, it feels like it's one of these two-sided things where obviously the greater kind of um, atmosphere around Roma and the fan base, they love Mourinho for reasons that aren't completely to do with the football. And then the club itself, at least there's a little bit more, it, it doesn't feel there is the 100% investment in the Mourinho project that there was a year ago. Uh, or at the very least, if he was to go, the club would be very willing to... Um, it wouldn't be seen as a disaster. They'd be willing to kind of look to uh, to a new project. Um, but I suppose all that is predicated on what options for Mourinho there are. I can't I can't see Madrid going back to him. Paris Saint-Germain, maybe it wouldn't completely rule out just because, again, it comes back to what we were saying in the first part where this is a club that, doesn't really, that still doesn't really know what it wants to be. Um, can't see Chelsea happening. Uh, especially given the profile of the coaches. I mean, and given the Chelsea's whole thing now is about bringing through the next generation of players and, and that sort of kind of young profile in that way. I mean, <laughs> Mourinho's not that. No, he's, he's not, Miguel. But I, I suppose your counterpoint to that is the fact that he's kind of been forced to uh, at Roma. If we're saying they're, you know, we talked about A-plus superstars before, maybe Roma are an A-minus sort of level. Like, he can pretend to be at elite level there. Roma can pretend they're elite level because they've got him. 
but neither of them are really quite there at, at this point in time. And part of that, if you go back to this time last year or a little bit earlier than this time last year, or was it a game there when they played Verona? First half, they were abysmal, absolutely terrible. And then they end up bringing the young players off the bench because there's no one else. They've got a load of injuries at the time. Uh, Eduardo Bove and Christian Volpato, the young Italian-Australian, score their first goals for the club and rescue a draw. And you look at that, that's the game where Zawewski comes in and, and, and starts playing as well. He's, he came on at halftime as well in that game. And <clears throat> he's, he's been very useful for them. He's been, he, was, he was in for Spinazzola at left back. And now that Spinazzola has come back and looked like himself in the last couple of months, finally, after that dreadful Achilles injury at Euro 2020, um, Zawewski's moved across to, to, to right back and been really good there. So, weirdly, Mourinho's been forced to be an encourager of youth because he doesn't have infinite resource at Roma like he might have had at, at other clubs. I think that is part of this as well. I don't get the impression... I may be wrong and that interest might intensify, but I don't get the impression that Real Madrid and definitely not PSG are, are ready to go the, the full way for him. I think, and there's a sense in Rome at the moment, that in terms of fishing expeditions, part of it is Mourinho in front of the board saying, hang about, maybe if you don't give me what I want this summer, because I want greater resource. And there's been talk that maybe if they can sell Tammy Abraham for... Uh, Back uh, to uh, Chelsea. Uh, uh, yeah, well, that, that'd be 80 million, for example. That'd be a, a, a big boost to their, their their transfer kitty. And, you know, Abraham's not had a brilliant season. I think it's, it's, it's fair to say part of the reason why he missed out on the World Cup squad. Um, although he remains very popular there amongst the supporters. He's saying to the Friedkins, Mourinho, back me or let me go. Now, maybe that's a slight dramatisation of it. And he's he's not... He's not come out in a Conte way and, and, and been bold. It's, it's, it's more very, you know, it's very Mourinho smoke and mirrors. So what, but I think, what, I, think, I think there's at least a little hint to him saying, right, okay, maybe there's others that want me if you don't provide me with the resources to take Roma to the next level. Because there's promise there. But like we said before, it's touch and go whether they make the top four in a very, very competitive race. Just remind me of the curveball that he threw in has fueled the speculation. Like I said at, 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 the, at the start, it was the fact that before he's been very, I am happy here. And after the Sampdoria game, he was a little more, well, we'll see. We've, I, he said, I've got a contract for next season, but contracts are not always the most important thing. Done deal, <laughs> you would think. How did the youngers like uh, going to Roma, by the way? Oh, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, you know, got to win. They are Roma fans, are they? Well, one is. Yeah. One, one is, one is a, a very big Roma fan. And he got to see uh, Paolo Dybala do his stuff as well. And of course, that's another part of it. Because uh, Dybala has a clause in his deal that if they don't make the Champions League, he can go for 20 million euros. Now, again, whether someone decides they would like to bet on a big contract for Dybala who is an absolute prince of a player. There's no getting away from that. And he's, he's been wonderful for a lot of this season. But there's questions over his fitness. Roma are on this weird cusp of, are they big or are they just pretending to be big? And you could say the same with both Mourinho and Dybala. Just, what's also interesting about Roma in that sense, I think they're on the brink of being very big. 
especially given it's a bit of a vacuum in Italian football. And I think that's reflected by the fact that in what is going to be, from what so many people in football say, and we can see it from some of the vacancies, one of the busiest manager markets ever. A yeah. lot of high-profile coaches are looking at Roma and thinking, that's a big opportunity. So, I mean, obviously, if everything goes, maybe people expect the, the kind of the, the prize jobs in Europe are Real Madrid, then Chelsea. And then people would think Tottenham, but from what I'm told, a lot of managers actually see Roma as a potentially better option than Spurs in that regard because it's a more immediate route to the Champions League and potentially titles with money behind them. I think that's the other thing with Mourinho, isn't it? You think if if he maybe entertains privately the thought of maybe I've got another crack at an elite level job, I don't know if he does. I don't know if he does. I I wonder if his reputation is sufficiently burned. I don't think it's been sufficiently rehabilitated by what he's done at Roma, which no. has been has been good, but has shown more the force of his personality yeah. rather well, than the I, I, excellence I, I, of his coaching. And I think the other thing, Miguel, is the fact that Roberto Martinez doesn't feel like Portugal coach for the next six years, does he? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I also think Mourinho, actually, given that he could be better suited to the intensity of a tournament in that way. Uh, mm. But even yeah, even exactly as what you're saying in terms of his re- rehabilitation, like say the the Europa Conference, it felt like, I think that was seen as a nice moment for Mourinho and the club, but not really actually kind of an achievement of great international worth. Okay, it comes now to the time that you've been waiting for, Miguel, and all our listeners have been <laughs> waiting for as well, not least J.D. Cameron, who says, look, just let Miguel have a few minutes on Osasuna. We know he's ready. Yeah, um, they've just reached the final of the Copa del Rey. How pleased are you on a scale of one to one million and one? Oh, well, I mean, on a personal level, uh, my mother is from Navarra, uh, so the whole family, Osasuna fans, for my day job at the Independent, I was working at um, Chelsea Liverpool as this was going on, um, which made it quite difficult because <laughs> uh, I had to work. But before anything could happen, a lot of the WhatsApp groups I'm in from Spain were already telling me. So I had uh, <laughs> I had news of the goal uh, before it had even registered. Um, and yeah, and I, and I, I just a remarkable. I mean, this there's, there's no overstating, and I suppose this is this is where. Football is going, and it can, it can kind of work on two levels in this way, in that, one, I would argue at this point that with the way European football is going, something we've discussed in the show so much, Osasuna are actually a model club. There's actually there's a strong argument that if you were to ideally reframe football into something where you know wealth is spread, where clubs are more representative of their communities, um, that this is what it should look like. They're... Uh, a fan-owned club, one of only four in Spain. They're probably, they're probably one of the four that are over, often overlooked in that way. Everyone knows about Barcelona and Real Madrid as social model. More people know about Athletic Bilbao, particularly as regards the, their policy on um, player recruitment and only recruiting Basques are now uh, uh, players who live in the Basque country or are of Basque heritage. But Osasuna are the fourth of those. Uh, they've gone and now because they almost went out of business in 2015 and could have gone down to the third tier of Spain with huge debts. I mean, before that, they were always a club that relied on homegrown players because of their finances, and they're always known as 
a club that uh, is a classic difficult place to go to. Ronaldo's Madrid, Messi's Barcelona. They 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 didn't always win uh, in El Sadar. Um, but from 2015, they really kind of clarified what the club should be about. And that was to really focus everything on being a club that builds from the ground up, that builds from uh, La Cantera, the, the youth, its youth philosophy, and also a connection to the local community. And that's what I mean. There's, there's 10 uh, homegrown players in the squad. Um, I, 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 I suppose one of the most um, striking at the moment is Jan Monchiola in midfield. Um and it's it's just I think given all the discussions happening and some of the clubs are talking about even about what Paris Saint Germain want to be, this is a, a model of what a club should be. I think it's 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 quite a good thing. It's what football should be about, and that, and that can be seen also in how uh, El Sadar for Osasuna games has been. It's been recorded as one of the noisiest in Europe, and definitely the noisiest in Spain. Because of a feeling that a connection that's made, people do really they they feel the club properly re- represents them in that way, and it's an experience to go there. And then on the other level to this is that, um, it I think they're an interesting case study in where Spanish football is. In that I think there is actually a fair argument that uh, La Liga is in its worst position in decades. Uh, I'll probably go that far. Um, it comes at a time where suddenly there's a bit of a crisis in, in Spanish talent development and it, it seems it, it's only it's only kind of uh, producing at this point now seven out of ten kind of uh, that midfield template and, need, and needs another reassessment. Mm. But within all that, Osasuna are forging a way through, um, really strengthening their own identity. You would say as well as was taking advantage of uh, issues elsewhere. I mean, so in some ways, Osasuna are a show of a potential strength of the the Spanish league and Spanish football, but also maybe a reflection of some wider weaknesses. I, th- I think that's the thing. If if we look at Osasuna, particularly, obviously that that they are in a good position because of that solidity to take advantage of the shortcomings of other teams. I mean, they could still qualify for Europe, Don, through through La Liga. That's the position that they're in. I think you look at them and particularly Rayo, who maybe don't have that quite the same stability upstairs because they have um, a rather controversial president in Raul Martin Presa, but um, have a very good team and they're brilliantly coached as as well by Andoni Edaola, um, for, formerly of Athletic. But with Osasuna, that, that continuity, I think, is, is, is a huge part of it. Now, they've had the same coach for, what, five years, five and a half years in uh, Hagaba Arasate, um, very well-known coach in, in, in the region who's done an absolutely brilliant job there. The fact that they are, it is a cliche, but the fact that they're super tough to beat has really worked for them. Because if you look, they've scored 22 goals in, in La Liga this season. What they would have if they had a regular goal scorer to go beside Chimi Avila, who is, is great seeing him succeed, of course, because yeah, those two really serious knee injuries very, very popular player and very, very useful player. I mean, he's got, a, what, a third of those league goals so far. Yeah, seven, top, top score before. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. And so so you, you look at um, David Garcia, who recently made his, his, his debut with Spain, of of, of course, in that, that game that didn't go brilliantly against against Scotland. But nevertheless, to make the climb in your late 20s to the, the Spanish squad shows how they really polish and, and, and develop talent. 
And I think that's really important. For, for them, you can say that going with a youth academy is the obvious play. And in one sense, it is. It's also a hell of a risk in that region because the reason that Athletic have been able to have that policy where they say Basques yeah. only is because they pinch all the best Basque talent. And Raul Sofiedad and to a lesser extent Osasuna have, have, have moaned about that for years because it makes life really, really difficult for them in, in what is still a, a, a limited catchment area. So to decide that you're going to go with, with that is, is, is quite a leap of faith. And the, the leap of faith they've taken, if, if you look at, say, Pablo Ibanez, who scored the equaliser at Athletic, who took them, that took them through to that Copa del Rey final, brilliant volley, by the way, from the edge of the box. That's his first goal for the club because he only made his debut in September. He's 24 years old. This is what used to happen with the Barcelona B team. If we go back, actually, to, say, someone like Pedro, who made a, a debut quite late for Barcelona. You know, he was um, an academy player, a B player. T to have a guy who's nearly 24 years old making his professional debut, and he, he, he turned 24 just after, I think, in September, it's really a remarkable story and something that's not particularly concurrent with modern football because we think yeah. of players who, who come through an academy like cracking it and being in the first team when they're 18 or whatever. We, you know, we think everyone's a, a Jude Bellingham or a Kylian Mbappe or, or, or whatever, whereas developing at this, this, this quite sort of steady level and then making like a pro debut when you're nearly 24 is actually a, a remarkable story. So that, Pablo Ibanez, not not the one who used to play for West Brom and Atletico, by the way. We have to we have to separate them. A different, younger Pablo Ibanez. For him to be able to do that, and for them to be able to go and win that semi final in a full up, very noisy San Mames at the biggest club in the region in Athletic, who have a very well communicated story that football fans all over the world know about. It feels like something that's quite symbolic. And they celebrated it like it was quite symbolic as well. Yeah, but they've never won a cup final, what, since 1920 when they were founded? They've never won anything, really, Miguel. You can't reimagine La Liga, can you? This, As much as this might be a model for, um, you know, ideal model for La Liga, but the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona aren't suddenly going to look at Osasuna and think, yeah, let's reimagine ourselves through that prism but it's they? about the rest isn't it really is it? it's about the oh, rest who can compete with yeah like, i mean we're, we're, i mean barcelona madrid are on a whole other, other level we're talking about how the rest of football responds to that because that that's where it has to go and, and even as it just it pick up with something that andrew er, that andy was saying there about Arasete. i think it's also and, and you're right about goal score because what's been i think particularly encouraging about Osasuna over the last two seasons they've gone from something i mean it, it wasn't that long ago, I suppose, they were to consider something similar to the Stoke of Spain, and a difficult place to go, all the classic cliches. And while it wasn't quite, you know, Pulis ball, it, it was, they were known for a robustness. And you can even see that in some of the more famous players that have come through from there, including Aspilicueta, um, Martinez, where it's, um, you know, robust defensive players. Where what they've tried to do in the last two seasons is take, is take it on in something like okay not quite classically expansive football but it is it, it, it's it's more progressive um and it's, it's interesting I was, one thing i meant to say is we're talking about athletic there so this is it, it, that's all the more interesting given the politics of the region as well and the kind of the um 
the, the socioeconomics and all the rest of it. I mean, first of all, I, I, it's quite identity wise, it's quite split Navarra uh, in that there's always been this actually wider debate over whether it should be included in the, in the Basque country, although it, historically it's an uh, independent autonomous kingdom and a now an autonomous region. But even like it's interesting, the WhatsApp group I was talking to there to to the people at it to to the guys my age they were they were in San Mamés as athletic fans, um even though obviously they're 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 kind of their families from the same town where which is an Osasuna town, um and there's always been a tension between the clubs. I mean, Bilbao would always have looked to Real Sociedad, but a rivalry Osasuna has really grown, especially as uh, antipathy has grown about. Athletic, as Andy says, taking so many players. But, but this is the other thing Osasuna have honed in on as well. I mean, you know, we talk about national games and all the rest of it and the cultural force of football. And, and I mean, you know, sports like Pilata are really big around the, the region. But it is a classic case if you walk around Spain and, and that region of Spain, you know, if, if whatever about crises in other countries about young people not playing football, that's not an issue in Spain. And not an issue in Pamplona, where every corner you'll turn, you'll see a ball being kicked. And that's something that Osasuna have specifically sought to um, maximise. So one of the one of the actual models the club has brought through, and this is quite unique, or, or sorry, quite distinctive for a, a, a top division club in a major league, where they get senior players to actually do sessions with the underage side. So on a, on, a, on a kind of... On a random day, and this was the example put to me when I did a big piece on Osasuna in October, you get Shimi Avila coming down to, you know, work with seven and eight-year-olds. Uh, and again, that kind of fosters the connection. That would have, and, and that's what really stands out when, you, when you're when you kind of talking about Osasuna, when the club went through. It, it is, it's, it's a community connection. And I, what, I, what I would argue, a level of representation that football is really supposed to be about, that is acutely distinctive in, in modern football has now become kind of um, a, some, something r- really uh, strong about the club's identity. Yeah, like you say, it's the other teams in La Liga that should be looking at this model, the likes of Sevilla and, and Valencia, much bigger yeah. clubs who are in a mess at the moment. Yeah, and do, do you know what? I think because Barcelona and Real Madrid are far from their best of 10 years ago, their world conquering best. And part of that's financial, of course, because, you know, they're struggling to compete with the big dogs of the, the, the Premier League. There is an opportunity. And we've we've seen that with Real Sociedad heading for the top four this season, um, with with Betis being it being in the, the the race for it, despite the fact that they're operating at the top of the salary cap and, you know, they've they've had to activate their own economic levers as as David's talked about in previous weeks. This would be a season in which Sevilla could challenge for the championship if they were better organised and they had a better squad. Um, you know, they were at that point last season, of course, where they tried to go for it with Anthony Martial in, in January. Really didn't work out at all. And it's been down, down, down since then. They really need to have a rethink this summer. And Monchi, I, I suspect, will stay, but really needs to have a rethink about the, the, the way he's doing things. Um, that squad needs a hell of a lot of pruning. And Valencia need a takeover, really. You know, they're not getting anyone under Peter Lim. And, you know, that Justin Cliver equaliser against Rayo going back to Monday is the only thing that's keeping them out of the bottom three at the moment. Neither Sevilla or Valencia are safe. So I think Osasuna just goes to show 
it's not always about it's not always about resources it's about organization as well and there is an opportunity to be had at the moment and of course if you're looking for extra resources what better than getting in the champions league and and getting that cash so we needed Easter game of the week for you both, somewhere to take the kids who've been to, where is it, Roma and then... Roma Rome and Inter uh, last uh, weekend. And also... Uh, not, that's, that's me cleaned out. There's, there's nothing more for Easter. <laughs> we'll come to hmm. you in a second. Miguel, do you have a game of the week? Yeah, I'm going to, I mean, Lecce Napoli, previously it would have been a game that you'd, you'd almost overlook because you'd, you'd check live score or something and after 20 minutes, Napoli are trinal ahead. But I think this is really interesting because... I mean, I don't want to overstate it, but the nature of Napoli's 4-0 defeat to Milan, I think, is, of course, for what has been the most interesting team of the European season, Napoli. But that that is potentially mood-changing, season-changing. It, it, it was such a... And also for the way Milan, I think, specifically exposed that, that flaw that's been so visible within Napoli all season, but that they've generally been too aggressive for people to get at. Uh, so I think it's really interesting how they respond. Now, of course... The likelihood is they'll just sweep Lecce aside, but um, suddenly it does, that doesn't feel as as much of a guarantee as it was. It's going to be, they, and they they need to get back up to speed now. So, from a team that could slip up, uh, where are you going with this one? You don't need to take the kids there. You can watch it on the telly. Well, that is, it's funny. My head's still in Italy. Uh, Miguel's kind of gazumped me because I was I was thinking of Lazio versus Juventus on on Saturday night. Lazio in in great form under Maurizio Sarri at the moment, and Juventus in a position where they can actually make top four. You know, they're, they're relentlessly one nilling everyone at the, at the moment. And um, that they look they look pretty strong. However, you know, I'm, I'm going to do that sneaky thing where I, I say, I could go for that one, but I'm actually going to go for this one, thereby actually sneakily picking two games of the week. The you've done that. I, I, I'm going for Benfica Porto, six o'clock Friday night. Benfica, 10 points clear. They're, they're going to win the league. But that, that, to be able to seal it against Porto, at the Stadio de Luz is an incredible thing. And I think, you know, you're enjoying it so much. Have a playgo for each hand and maybe a back of the hour brash in the middle because it's going to be a party. And for Munchies, for your one, Miguel, what would you go with? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to actually, I was, in, I was in Naples. I mean, this is in Lecce, but I was in Naples two weeks ago for the um, uh, for the England game. And uh, uh, it was very taken by the gnocchi alla Sorrentino. So what <laughs> <it> makes them? <laughs> Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.